definitely get everything in order right away. And like, it kind of falls back on the worst business decision I made, um, getting everything set up to where you have contracts set in place and you kind of have like a legal framework that you can work off of to give you accountability, but then also give your clients accountability. And so don't, the thing that I, I wish I had done a little bit differently was I viewed my business in the very beginning because I didn't make a bunch of money in the beginning as I need to be as cheap as possible and really just kind of survive where I wish I had been, I'm going to invest all my resources into creating a great contract, getting invoicing set up to where it's reoccurring, clients can save credit cards, different processes that I didn't do just because I didn't want to spend the money that now I'm having to spend the money and wish I'd done it before. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups and seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Caleb Roche, and to give you a quick introduction to Caleb. Um, so he was uh, homeschool or homeschooled, and in, in his uh, in his uh, words, was a weird nerdy kid. But uh, graduated from college at nineteen with a bachelor's in marketing, um, and went into marketing or went into marketing. But I'd always kind of had dreams or aspirations of being a lawyer, and actually worked with an attorney that uh, did some work on the Oklahoma City bombing. While he was doing that, uh, found out he hated the law, so uh, finished up with the marketing. Um, also, I think during that period of time, did a little bit of studies overseas in Europe, um, graduated, got, an, or got a job offer with uh, Inspire Brand, um, also was doing a side hustle while working there. Um, and then part of, his, uh, part of his responsibilities was marketing, was doing taste testing and research for restaurants, which sounds like a fun time. Um, and then during COVID, started working from home, found that he liked working from home and wanted to turn his side hustle into a full-time gig. And uh, that started making more money, finished up an MBA as well, and uh, also did, uh, started in the world of small, or small businesses. So with that much as a, as a quick introduction, welcome on the podcast, Jake or Caleb. Thanks, Devin. Appreciate the uh, the great introduction. Absolutely. So I just gave the 30-second run-through of a much longer journey. So maybe uh, take us a bit, a bit back in time to starting out uh, being homeschooled and how your journey started from there. Yeah. So as as you well put, uh, I was an already uh, homeschooled kid that, uh, you know, not a lot of people wanted to talk to, but uh, I've got, become a little bit more social. So that's been a, a good thing. Uh, so I started... When I was homeschooled, I, I was able to take concurrent classes. And so um, I was able to actually graduate, like you said, college a little early. Um, mm. And so I went to college. And as you said, I really wanted to be a lawyer. And so um, my sister-in-law is an attorney. I had a couple other attorney friends. And the one thing they said would be really good for my um, resume would be studying abroad. And so I actually studied abroad in Manchester, England, um, in hopes that it would help my resume for law school. And it actually turned out to be a great experience just in general. And obviously I'm not a lawyer. So uh, I assume it's probably not gonna help my resume for law school since I won't be applying. Uh, but those were great experiences. And so um, I always thought I wanted to get into to law and I worked for a criminal law defense attorney and just realized it probably wasn't for me all the researching that you, you probably have to do every day. I don't know if I could do it. Um, and so I transitioned into marketing and. Um, went to college for it, kind of did it on the side and um, really enjoyed kind of working with small businesses when I was in college. And obviously I didn't make very much money because 
I was just starting out. So I kind of felt like I couldn't charge them a bunch of money. And so that was always a struggle as I was in college was how do I monetize this and actually make this a career? Um, you can't, it's not like law where I can go in and start charging uh, hourly rates just based on my education. And so um, college was a great opportunity for me to go in and kind of start building my client base. Now, let me just dive in and one question on that. So you, you know, went in thinking you were going to be an attorney. What was it? And I know plenty of attorneys, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, I went and I've done the, I ended up getting four degrees and one of them was a law degree. Another was an MBA. So I've kind of did a few different routes. Um, but, you know, I know plenty of attorneys that go all the way through law school, get out of law school and decide, Hey, I don't want to be an attorney or this isn't what I thought it'd be. It's not always uh, you know, fun, exciting where as it is on TV where, you know, you have a court case the next day you're in court. And by the end of the week, you've won the case at every, you know, it's not quite that way. But for you, what was the thing that kind of drove you to say, okay, maybe law isn't what I'm excited about and, you know, what isn't what I want to do and what kind of, when you made that determination, what kind of drove you towards marketing? Well, so, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, uh, probably a two-year decision that I had. So um, I, when I started, it was great because I kind of got to see the, the fun parts of law, get to go to, like you said, cases and go to uh, trials and actually see the fun part where you're actually arguing in front of people. Um, and so that had been my initial exposure. And then, um, when I moved down to Oklahoma city, I was working with, um, a, a oil and gas litigation firm, and that's a lot of paperwork. Um, and it was a great opportunity, but I realized that there was a lot of paperwork to that. And so as I started kind of networking in the attorney community, um, I met some really great people that I kind of viewed as mentors. And so I would try to take them to coffee and just kind of pick their brain on, you know, what are the favorite things about your job? What did you hate? Did you, you know, are you glad you went to law school? Are you glad you went into law, like debt for law? You know, all these types of things. And so um, I'm a very, I was, I've kind of grown away from it, but I was very risk adverse at the time. And so I kind of had, I, I started to put the money towards, you know, if I go to law school, go into X amount of debt, um, can I actually pay this off in a reasonable amount of time? And it seems like unless you're really good at managing both a family, if you have a family and kind of managing that relationship and the business side of law, it seems pretty tough unless you can be kind of a self-starter. And so as I'm going through my degree and kind of learning these marketing classes and diving into kind of more of the consumer behavior piece, because, you know, college, you start off English 101, calculus, you, you kind of hate it. And you're like, why am I in college? And then the more you dive in, and I don't know if you feel this with law, um, but the more you dive in and kind of see the, the different aspects of it, you kind of get like, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, the consumer behavior, it's not just, you know, putting out an ad, it's, it's looking at how the consumers react to this. And so kind of a combination of, holy cow, that's a lot of money to go into debt for. And, you know, it, it seems like it depends on who you talk to, but it seems like um, the career field is kind of getting a little bit harder to get into um, as it progresses. And so I kind of weighed that with, I kind of want to have a good family life. I don't want to work a hundred hours. And here I am start with a small business, probably working the same amount as a lawyer, um, making way less probably than a lawyer too. So um, I don't know if it was a wise decision, but you know, that's kind of what brought me to it. <laughs> no, it definitely makes sense. And, you know, there is a lot that goes into lawyer and, you know, if you're great at it, you can uh, pay off the loans. Great. And depending on the type of law, you know, it's interesting. I think everybody has the uh, 
idea that lawyers just make tons of money and some of them do. And some of them, you know, if you're depending on the type of law, you can make a, a fairly small amount and you're in to debt for quite a long time. So I think that, you know, having that all of that balance of do I want to do a lot of paperwork? Is it going to be worth the investment? Do I really like it? And all that definitely makes sense as to why you pivoted to marketing. So you do marketing for while you're in school, you know, you start to kind of get a, an understanding of it, build up a little bit of client base and you graduate and then you went and worked for uh, one or for a different business, right? Or for a, a marketing business or firm yeah so what really got me going was um i think it was january the first friday of january i was working for a small business and they came to me and um basically let me go on the spot um and so here i am me and my wife had just gotten married uh, we had just bought our first house not even graduated from college and obviously we had some savings set up but we're not you know 50 year old millionaires and so um my wife looks at me and is like all right what are we gonna do and so um, that was the point of when I actually started kind of viewing it as a business. And so for, for four months until I graduated, I knew I couldn't make really any money um, working for a business until I got the, the official degree because that's what companies want. And so I kind of, we kind of limped along with my, with my business that I thought was really successful at the time, which wasn't. Um, and so I got connected with one of my professors uh, my last semester of school and um, Christine McCluskey is her name. She, she was a market research. She was over the market research of Sonic Drive-In, and she came and spoke to the class. And um, I ended up getting connected with her after she came and visited, and went in for a job interview, and actually got um, a job working for Sonic Drive-In in their product research department or consumer insights department, um, which led to they they eventually got bought out around the time that I I joined. They were getting bought out by Inspire Brand, so then my job basically moved over from Sonic to Inspire, helping all, like all the other brands kind of build consumer validation, um, which was a really great experience because I got to, like we talked about earlier, like we learning the, um, the big budget side of things with a corporation, there's, there's a lot to it that small businesses don't see. And so it was great exposure for me to get to see all the, the different agencies at play as they're kind of working together to build products and kind of the, the in-depth research that goes into products before they actually get launched. That was so incredible. Mm. Now, just as a little bit of an aside, was it, you know, was it as fun to taste test all the new products as it sounds? Cause that just sounds like, you know, fun that you get to hear all the crazy creations they come up with and all the different ways they're doing it. Was that fun and exciting or is it over glamorized kind of like being an attorney? You know, it, it was a little bit of both. So a lot of what we did, we got to taste the product before it went on to taste test, but What's funny is everyone, when I say taste testing, they thought it was just me sitting in front of a, a you know, eating a, a burger, a double cheeseburger, you know, with this and giving my opinion. But the cool part was, you know, we would go into different markets and work with vendors to actually like have consumers that we picked um, test the product. And so while we got to eat the product, we actually got to program surveys and kind of see what they thought and use different, different ways to kind of understand how they felt about a product. And so, you know, that was the fun part about seeing and kind of felt cool because you're in front of this uh, one may one way mirror so you can watch them eat while while they're filling out the computer and so you kind of feel like a private investigator, I guess, or I don't know what you would feel like. Uh, but then the other part is I probably gained about 20 pounds because we were eating and we have such good products because it's handmade by chefs, not just at, you know, the location. So mm. the quality is just so much better that you just can't say no. And so by the end of my, my tenure, I, um, 
my face kind of blew out a little bit and um, definitely had to hit the gym after I kind of stopped working there. So um, it was a little bit of both a little, it was pretty awesome, but at the same time, it was, um, it kind of got tiring at times. Makes sense on, on all fronts. So, so now you're doing that and it sounds like, you know, you're enjoying the job, it, you know, gives some fulfillment, you get to have some fun experiences. Now, how did the kind of starting the, the side hustle, you know, what, what prompted that and how did that turn into a full-time hustle? So it was kind of a mixture from the, the transition from working full-time to a side hustle, like from the side hustle to a full-time was, um, you know, me and my wife had been married for maybe eight months at the time. And we ended up finding we were pre- finding out we were pregnant. And so um, over the course of kind of right before COVID last year, uh, I guess that's almost two years ago, um, two years ago um, in the winter, I started kind of pushing hard into my job. And so it ended up being a lot of travel. Um, and at that same point, my wife and I had just had our first son. And so um, trying to balance, you know, traveling, leaving the airport at 6 a.m., going to somewhere, getting to a hotel, and then at the same time, trying to grow my business. So I'm up until midnight, 2 a.m., kind of building strategic plans, catching up on emails, kind of, and it was very overwhelming. Um, and then by the time I get home, my wife is exhausted because she's been with a baby all day. So I, you know, I, I'm not going to use the excuse of, oh, I was working because, you know, being a mom or taking care of a kid is a lot harder than work, um, in my opinion, sometimes. And so um, I want, I really wanted to be a good father, but at the same time, it was so hard because I was always gone. And so that's where I kind of had this, I want to call it like a light bulb moment because I'd always wanted to grow my business into a full-time thing. But I guess it kind of expedited my time frame of, I don't like this life. I want something different. And so that's when I kind of, um, with COVID between the time of the winter of before COVID and during COVID, I kind of had this new inspiration of, okay, I've got to turn this into a real business. I've got to get everything structured the right way and actually create pricing that I've, I've gotten a little bit of experience kind of building referrals. And so now I can kind of take this serious. And so during COVID, when we got locked down and I worked from home for a year, um, it allowed me a lot more flexibility after work and before work that I could wake up and I'm not driving now, I'm not flying. And so I have a lot more time to really grow my business outside of the normal business hours that I had to, that I could really build my client base while dedicating all the time I needed to for my full-time job. And then December of 2020, I came to my wife and said, all right, we've made more than I've made on my salary. I'm ready to go. And so we kind of set a benchmark of, hey, let's do a couple more months of this. And if that happens, let's get my two weeks and let's go full time. Um, and that's when I really knew that I could turn this into a real business and not just like a, a side hustle. So yeah, no, I think that's definitely interesting. Now backing up just a little bit, just because I had a couple of questions, you know, how did, was it when you originally started the side hustle, was it because you're working from home or you, or was it more of, Hey, I always wanted to do this or how did you kind of get, you know, what prompted the, the side hustle initially to get as you were getting going? I've always had an entrepreneur mindset. I've always thought I wanted to get into real estate, real estate investing, all the different things that you would think of to be an entrepreneur. And so um, from the very beginning, when I was a young kid, I've always wanted to own my own business. And so no matter if I was working for a corporation, I always knew that I did not want to work for someone my whole life. And so it was kind of a, a, an idea of my wife of, hey, what if you made, you could make some extra money, kind of get some good experience of kind of getting to work with business owners, kind of build a network while you're young. Um, and then my initial plan was work for five to 10 years, get some really good experience and then jump on my own. Um, and obviously that was expedited, but 
um, you know, it was kind of this, this idea of I can kind of control my own schedule and kind of do things on my own without at a young age, so I can kind of prepare my life. And so that's, that's what originally got me going was if I can start this now and kind of grow, you know, in the next five years, um, when maybe people would be at a, a longer life stage than maybe me at the time, um, I'd have a lot better life in the future for what I wanted. Hmm. No, and I think that I think that problems a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have that, hey, I want to control my own destiny. I want to do my own thing. I want to be able to choose the hours. Now, the ironic thing is half the time you get into your own business, you end up working as many or and more hours. You know, the old joke always goes, you know, the best thing about being an entrepreneur is you're going to choose the, you know, the 10 hours, which 10 hours you work a day type of a thing. So it's not that your hours reduced, but you do have a little bit more control. But now as you dive into that, you know, you make the transition, you start out a side hustle, you work from home, have a bit more time to work on it, also start to make more money with it. And you dive in, you know, as you've been now doing that, building that for what a year, year and a half now, how has it gone? Has it been gratifying? Loved it? Great decision? Wish you could go back to the other business somewhere in between? Or how's it gone for you? Oh, I haven't looked back and don't ever want to look back ever again. Um, So it's like you said, it's that common phrase of I think it's the quote goes that um, you work 80 hours a week just so you can avoid a nine to uh, working 40 hours for someone. Um, so obviously, I'm still working on the time time frame just because we've grown so much. Um, but it has been such a great transition. Um, it was very stressful in the beginning because um, I hadn't set up proper infrastructure for client billing. And so I was kind of still working on that when I made the adjustment. And I wish I had gotten that a little bit more under control because those first couple months, you know, you're waiting on a client to pay an invoice and you're like, all right, this is my mortgage payment. I hope this comes through. Um, but as I, as we built cash and continued to build up our client load, it became much more, much more lax and allowed me to kind of invest more into my clients instead of investments, instead of stressing on my own business. And so it's been so gratifying. We've, we've actually grown. Um, we do a lot of obviously online advertising for ourselves. Um, but a, a majority of our client acquisition has just been based off of referrals because we think, referrals are such a great um, way to do business because you already have the trust built up with someone. And so if they're referring you to that person, they have personal experiences and there's less selling that goes on, which obviously as a small business, you have to sell. But one of the worst things that I hate doing is selling. Um, I really love it. But at the same time, it I, I hate feeling slimy or I never want to. And so that that combination of how do I sell someone and make money, but at the same time, make sure it benefits them. It's just a, a weird concept. And so um, we've really focused on customer experience and building out kind of great, great, um, great client experiences. And so that way we can foster referrals. And so we've gotten referrals from um, small businesses. We've gotten a couple of big international clients, which has been something that I would have never imagined in this first couple of years. Um, and so it's been a great, great experience. There's a lot of learning, as I'm probably sure you know, with starting a business and your extensive experience. There's always the days that you wake up and you wonder why you started it. And then the next day you wake up and you say, man, I don't even know why I had that thought. So um, absolutely, there's plenty. And sometimes it's within the same hour of the same day. You're Oh, this is great. And I love it. And then you get a client that calls you and gets mad at you and tells you all the things that you've done wrong and why you, why you should change all these things. And it's a horrible day. And then you wait till later and you say, oh, I still love it. So there's there's kind of all those feelings. So I definitely agree with you and get that. So 
Well, now as we've kind of taken a bit to, you know, where you started all the way up till where you're at today, great transition to talk or to go over the last or the two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. We'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? All right. This is going to be a good one. So the, the worst business decision that I made was being too lenient on client payments. Um, so obviously when I first started and we've started transitioning to a, a different model, but um, when we first started, I was barely charging anything for, for business owners. And so not only am I barely charging anything or getting any money, um, I really didn't have a set contract set up. I mean, I had contracts set up, but I didn't follow them hundred percent on the payment side. And so if a client, you know, small businesses, it, it gets personal. And so if you know, someone's really financially struggling, there's a lot that we put into our business that goes into our clients. And so we have a lot, we have overhead. And so what I would do is, oh, you can't pay this month. That's fine. Just pay whenever. Um, and obviously you can't be too much of a strict stickler and not build client experiences, but you have to get paid. And so one of the worst business decisions that I made was letting clients get so like getting, letting them get behind to where I'm not making any money and it's hurting my family. Um, and not being fully upfront about that with those clients of, hey, you're struggling and I get it, but now you're causing me to struggle because I'm, I'm holding back all these payments. And so it, it led for a world of hurt on my side of a lot of regret on, man, I wish I had done something different, but obviously you can't go back. Um, well, I think that that's, you know, that's always on the one hand, it's an easy mistake to make, you know, that's why I didn't, didn't make that mistake, you know, but it was after watching other people make that mistake. So it's kind of along those lines, because I work for a, a firm that, you know, they would do, they would split their payments half and half. In other words, you pay half to get going and then half when you get to file, but it just created so much of a hassle that half time you get to the end and they don't want to file or you, they're having money problems. And then you're trying to work it out and it was collections and it was creating, you know, contentious relationship that when I started Miller IP law, it was just much more, Hey, we're just going to do flat fee. You know, it's going to be a reasonable price. You pay it up front. We don't have to do collections. We don't have to chase them. It doesn't create that tension. And, you know, if they don't want to do it, definitely understand. But it's always one of those, I think, to learn how to do billing and do it right, because otherwise you get into that. One, you're having to chase the thing. You're never knowing when you're going to get paid. And then you're now it creates that tension in the relationship of it's no longer, hey, you're providing a service. You're running people down to get paid and nobody likes that experience. So I definitely understand that mistake. Well, and it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's really hard as you get started. And I don't know if it's just because I started with maybe not as much experience as most people do, but I had this, this, I guess, feeling that I didn't feel like I was worth it, maybe, even though I wasn't charging that much. And so it was that, like, I feel like I'm maybe not providing as big of a service if they can't make the money or, and so there was the hard part of like understanding my worth and knowing that. I'm providing them as much as I can for my service and I'm giving them as much dedication as possible. And so it's kind of a mutual respect thing that I didn't understand it that way, but that's how I've kind of learned it recently is it's kind of a respect thing. They're agreeing to terms. You're not trying to trap people. And if you're doing it the right way, it really shouldn't be a problem. And so that's kind of how I've, I've reframed the way that I think about these things on, obviously I'm charging these people, but they're getting a service by me. And so they should be paying on time. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's always one that you have to learn because you're like, oh, if I do a great job, people just want to pay me and they'll be successful. And sometimes it's the case, but other (laughs) other times you have to say, nope, I have to treat it like a business. And if I'm not making money, I can't provide the service for those that can pay. And so it it is one where you have to make that line in the sand. So I definitely get it. So 
Now going to the second question, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Definitely get everything in order right away. And like, it kind of falls back on the worst business decision I made, um, getting everything set up to where you have contracts set in place and you kind of have like a legal framework that you can work off of to give you accountability, but then also give your clients accountability. And so don't, the thing that I, I wish I had done a little bit differently was I viewed my business in the very beginning because I didn't make a bunch of money in the beginning as I need to be as cheap as possible and really just kind of survive. Where I wish I had been, I'm going to invest all my resources into creating a great contract, getting invoicing set up to where it's reoccurring, clients can save credit cards, different processes that I didn't do just because I didn't want to spend the money that now I'm having to spend the money and wish I had done it before. Um, I had been using template contracts and recently I, I hired an, a local attorney here to, to do contracts. It has been such a game changer. They, my two page contracts went to about 14 pages. Um, and there's a lot of protection in there that I didn't even think about and having those conversations with them. I'm sure you have these conversations with business owners. They did research. So it's like, okay, you could be, you could get sued by X or based on this. And it's like, well, I never thought about that. And so thankfully I've been, I've been lucky enough to never have those situations where I've had to worry about that, but having the protection, even having business insurance, that's something I did two years ago that I'm so grateful for of. Having that, if I ever got sued, that I would have insurance to help cover my my bills, those big things are huge. And so I wish I had taken, I hadn't had such a scarcity mindset towards business and kind of worked towards building from the very beginning and building the systems to where now I don't have to worry about it. No, and I agree with you. You know, it, it is, I to give, you know, startups, small businesses slack, you know, there's always more things to spend money on than you have money to spend as a startup. And so, you know, a lot of, oftentimes there's kind of a bit of an evolution to where you try and as you're getting going, you try and do everything as much as you can on the cheap, do it DIY, do it yourself, use online templates and online forms. And I get it. And there's probably a place for that because you're saying until I get the business up and going and actually making money, I can't put as much money into those things as I probably should because the money's not there. But then as you start to get traction, you're saying there are a lot of things I really should be doing and doing better. And I better get you better get them taken care of. And a lot of times I think that having that roadmap or that kind of plan in place that, hey, I, I have to do it this way because I don't have the money. But as soon as I hit this milestone, here are the things I should get taken care of. Maybe I should get those contracts updated or I should get that business insurance. And I can't do that when I'm only making $10 a month on the side hustle. But when I'm making you know $5,000 a month, then I should starting to reinvest. So I think that that's definitely a great takeaway. Well, just as a reminder to the listeners, we are going to do the bonus question where we talk a little bit about intellectual property. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that, stay tuned for after after we wrap up the episode. But otherwise, for um, as uh, people are wanting to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Uh, best way for me is either through my website, crochconsulting.com. It's C-R-O-C-H-E consulting.com spelled spelled differently than the bug um, or they can email me at caleb at crochconsulting.com again that's c-r-o-c-h-e consulting.com um, those are the best methods for me just because we have a, a little we offer free consultations kind of like you do as well kind of helping business owners before they actually get sold anything kind of understand whether it's something that they would actually need and so there's a calendly link on there that they can actually sync up with my calendar like you have um, and kind of determine the best time before 
we go back and forth about, oh, well, Tuesday at two doesn't work for me, but that works for me. So um, we offer, we make it pretty easy for people. Yeah, I love, I love calendar scheduling. I'm an evangelist of it just because it makes it easy for people to align schedules without having to go back and forth and alleviates that frustration. That's great that you, you offer that and definitely encourage people to, to reach out. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you uh, listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Two more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so everybody else can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, trademarks, or anything else, go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Well, now as we've wrapped up the normal part of the episode, it's always kind of fun to shift gears a bit. And now I get to talk a little bit about one of the topics that is obviously close to my heart and I love talking about it, which is intellectual property. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to ask your uh, number one intellectual property question. Yes, this might, I don't know if this is too big to unpack, but um, it was on my mind recently. So as a marketing consulting firm, our clients are creating, we're creating assets for our clients. We're running these campaigns. How can businesses protect their marketing or their assets with intellectual property? You know, every asset, do you create a trademark? Like, what would you suggest from that standpoint? Yeah, you and you probably started to answer your own question. I mean, breaking it down, there are kind of three main aspects of intellectual property. Patents, trademarks, copyrights. Patents are for inventions. If you create something, that does something. Trademarks are for brands. So something that is, you know, name of a company, name of a product, catchphrase, logo, those type of things. And copyrights are more for the creative. So photos, pictures, videos, images, you know, books, movies, any sculptures, paintings, those type of things. And so usually when you get into marketing, you know, while there is occasional marketer that we've worked with that's been a client that has created a new marketing system or a new software or new something, and that gets into the patent side. But generally, if you're working with clients that are on the marketing side, it's usually primarily on the branding side and sometimes on the copyright side or not the creative side. So most of the time, what you're doing with marketing is you're trying to get a brand following. You're trying to get brand awareness. You're trying to get the name out there. You're trying to get people to trust it, get reviews, all of which are you know things that bolster the marketing. And so most of the time, you're going to fall towards the trademarks, which is, hey, if we're really focused on creating the reputation for the name of the company, you should probably get a, a trademark to protect that name as you're investing all the marketing dollars to get it uh, built up. Same thing, it may be on a product. Maybe it's not the, the name of the company as much as they just have a great product. And everybody remembers, you know, I don't know what the name of the company is for Snuggy, but I definitely remember Snuggy is a product, right? Maybe maybe the name of the company is Snuggy. I don't know, but that's the kind of thing. And so maybe, you know, is it a Snuggy where you're saying, hey, this is the name of a product or is it more of, you know, Starbucks, which is, I don't know what name of their, you know, coffee or muffins or that, but I definitely remember the company. So the name of the company. So you're going to look to kind of see where's the, brand that's going to be the most valuable part of the brand and then you're going to want to protect it and then sometimes you have that really great image or that great video that goes viral or that just really portrays the company or you know something that and you'll copyright that as well you're saying hey this is you know typically you can't you're not going to copyright every image and half the time they're you know license free images that you get from somewhere else but if they have this really great brand image that they take of it then you can do a copyright so that's usually Primarily on the trademarks, a little bit on the copyright is usually where you're going to focus the, the protection on. Very nice. Yeah, I've always wondered about that because, you know, you think like marketing assets and all those types of things, sometimes you create some great stuff and do I copyright it? Do I trademark it? What do I do? So that's awesome. 
Now, I'll, I'll answer the question didn't answer, which was where I originally thought you're going, and I'll just give a little bit of a teaser and probably won't answer it, is, you know, the other thing you always think about with marketing is, you know, there's a lot of data that goes along. In other words, marketing companies will do a lot of, whether it's Facebook ads or Google AdWords, and they'll see which works and what doesn't work and how it works. And both for the marketing company as well as for the client, you're always wondering who owns that data. In other words, if I decide to leave the company or do bring it in house or do my own thing. Do I own that data? Do I own that account? Or is the marketing? And there's equal arguments you can make on both sides as to who owns it. But that's something that people should always consider on both sides, both on the marketing company saying, Hey, we've done all this work. We figured it out. We want to be able to maintain that so we can leverage it for other clients. On the other hand, the customer saying, but I paid you to figure that out. I should be able to keep my data. So that's always just one thing to consider as a marketing company and as a client of the marketing company as to how that relationship works. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. It's a great question. Always fun to chat a little bit about. And again, if you or any of the listeners ever have any questions on patents, trademarks, or anything else, go to strategymeeting.com. Grab some time with us to chat. Thank you again for coming on the podcast, Caleb. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. I appreciate it.